Good to see you, man. Hallelujah. Well, we just wrapped up a series, uh, our purpose series on the original intent. And um, I'll tell you right now, if you don't know, uh, you can access all of our messages online. Um, right now, our website is actually currently down. We're actually updating the whole thing uh, from front to back. The whole thing's being redone. But you can still go to sermon.net. That is the actual website that we use to upload everything. You can go online there. If you have, uh, you know, a, a smart device, I don't know why they call them smart devices as if everything else is a dumb device, but uh, if you have a smart device, you can download the actual Sermon.net app. There's an app that you can go on. You can search for our church. Uh, I think zip code's the best way to pull it up. You can get all the messages on there. But if you still need something further than that and you don't know, we can actually make CDs. We still can do all that. <laughs> uh, we don't do cassettes anymore, uh, thank God, but we do have CDs. Um, and so if you need to order a CD, if you need a set of any of the series that we do, you can also order the sets. Um, if you know someone that needs to hear what we've been preaching, if you know, hey, this purpose series, you need to get a hold of this. Uh, my pastor's been preaching this. Um, you can, uh, you know, order it through that means as well. We can make up those CDs, print them up, and get those to you. So it's very important. I say that because it's very important that you're going back and, and re-listening to these things. I, I have several CD series. I have uh, several things in my life that I know I need to hear on a regular basis. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, the original Intent series we just got out of, that is one of those. When you got a day when you don't feel like, I don't know why I'm here, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, I don't know what my purpose is, why do I have a job, why am I married, why do I have all these kids, why is my life just seems to be going in the wrong direction, that's what you need to be getting a hold of. It's, we covered so much in that series, I really believe that that series was paramount for this church, it was paramount for my life, there are things that I got out of it. Um, and I'm going to have to get my own CDs and listen to myself, apparently, because uh, the word was just good. And um, the, the stuff that God revealed in that series was phenomenal. Remember, it's not me up here. This ain't me. I am a vessel. I am the tool that God is using to get the word out. But the word is what is important. It's not me. And so even I have to go back and get it again because it's the word. It, it's not just the word for y'all. It's a word for me as well. There's a lot of times I'm up here preaching, and I'm thinking, man, I wish I wrote that down because uh, I, I, I didn't think about that before. I didn't have that in my notes. But God is showing us stuff. He's introducing stuff in our lives that's going to help us be better. And, um, you know, that's my prayer uh, for this church. And um, it's simply that what we get out of Sundays and what we get out of Wednesdays is causing us to be different people the next day. We're going when when we go to our jobs tomorrow. When you go to your home tonight, you ought to be going there with something different. You ought to be going there. You ought to be the the best employee at your job. We ought to be the best husbands, the best wives, the best parents, the best children, the best business owners. We should be the 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 best of the crop. Because of what we're receiving here, this is time of instruction. This is time of equipping. This is time of empowering 
So when we get out in the workforce, when we get back with our kids, when we get back with our husbands and our wives, we're able to bring influence and be an impact to that. Amen. Uh, I want to go into, I don't know that this will be a series because we've got obviously a, a very special service coming up next week, our one year anniversary service. And so um, I wanted to minister something that's going to bring that to light, what you're going to be receiving next week. We haven't, I haven't had a whole lot of guest speakers coming in here. It's only been uh, one time this entire year that uh, my wife and I have even been gone. We went out to Oklahoma earlier this year um, for a minister's conference, and we had Joshua Clay come in, him and his wife, uh, minister. And that's the only time. Every other time it's been me because you need to hear my voice. I'm your pastor. I'm your leader. And especially in this first year, laying that foundation, you need to hear me speak. And you need to, uh, you know, understand my heart and, and what we're ministering. And so I haven't done a whole lot of trying to bring in people. Um, I've had people call me up. There's ministers that I know. There's ministers that I know live here uh, that do traveling ministry and live around here. Um, and then there's ministers that they travel all over the place. And when they come through here, they look up my church and they say, hey, you're in town, or I'm going to be in town. I, I'm not ministering anywhere. But I've been very deliberate uh, to not go that route. Um, first of all, I only bring in people as the Holy Spirit leads me. I don't bring in people just because they call me and want an invite. I don't bring in people just because they happen to be in my area. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who's dictating that. God is the one who lets me know who speaks here, and, and that's not something I play around with. So you can know, you can be very confident that if I'm having a guest speaker here, one, God called him here. God mandated for that person to come in at this specific time. And two, you have my confidence that I'm backing that person, and I'm behind that person. I won't throw just anybody in this pulpit. This is too precious, and, and there's too much, uh, too, too much of weight up here in, in the word that's going forth uh, to, to play around with that. And so this weekend, um, about a couple months ago, God placed on my heart to uh, do a one-year anniversary service. And really, you know, I'm not a big thing with anniversary services and that type of thing. It wasn't a real big deal to me. You're, you're thinking, okay, it's been one year. Um, but God began to show me that this service is going to be very, it's going to be a catalyst for what he wants to do in this next year. I honestly believe, as your pastor, that this church is on the verge of some awesome things. Um, if you're hooked up with this church and this is your home church, you're in a good place. You are in a place where this place, we're at a foundation level that we're getting ready to catapult into some awesome things. If you're not and you're considering joining, know that we're getting ready to take off in some, some stuff, and this is a great place to get hooked up. I'll tell you today. I'll tell you right now. This is a great place. This is where you're going to get the word. But not only that, we are going out, and we're about to do some awesome things in this community. Um, there's a lot in this first year. Um, really, this is kind of like the last service of the first year. Um, October 16th last year is when my wife and I moved here. But if you're going by months, this is the final month of the, the first year. This is the 12th month right here. And today's September 30th. It's the last day of the last month. This is it. That means October, we're getting into some awesome stuff. And that's why he showed me first Sunday in October, we're going to hit it and we're going to take off with year two and be excited about where God is moving us towards. And so at, at the end of this first year, um, 
you know, God has done some awesome things here in the church. I, I, there's definite growth. There are people that are with us today hooked up. Um, there are faces that I see in this room that weren't here 12 months ago, and that's awesome. But, you know, looking back in the first year as, as a pastor, when I first got into this thing, there was a ton that I wanted to do, man. I wanted to hit the ground running. I wanted to be, you know, let's feed the homeless people. Let's get in the prison ministry. Let's take over VSU. I mean, let's take over the high schools. Let's do these big things. And God kind of had to slow me down and say, we're in preparation mode. And this last year was preparation mode, mostly, you know, for my wife and I as individuals uh, coming to Georgia and, um, you know, learning the culture. And to be honest with you, it's not a whole lot different from where we came from. The, the, the people type is really the same, just that nice southern, you know, down home, you know, stuff and, and just everyone's friendly. There's definitely more places to eat here, which is awesome. Uh, St. Augustine, you get tired of the four restaurants after a while. And uh, so that whole mix-up. But just getting in the mix and getting in this position of senior pastor and what does God want to do with this church, what's the direction he wants to take us, I knew from the beginning that we were going to be different. And, I, and if you go back to some of my messages, you would have, hear, you would have heard that as an underlying theme. Um, I'm not here to be different just to be different. I'm not here just to do look at everybody else and say I'm going to do not that. Uh, we want to do what God's called us to do. But in that, I knew that there were going to be some cultural boundaries and breakthroughs that we were going to make uh, in this area and in this town. Uh, that's why you see, you know, dark walls and orange walls next door. That's different than just, you know, your traditional green and pink carpet and, you know, light tan walls and and the whole thing, I knew what we were going to do here wasn't going to be just status quo, wasn't just going to be the traditional next church on the block. But getting in that and, and, and understanding the preparation that God has had us in this year has kind of slowed me down and, and let me take a step back and really see, okay, what God's really calling us to do is going to take some faith. Uh, God's going to ask us to do some things in this church, being two years old, that other churches waited till they were 10 to do. God's going to ask us to do some things with maybe 50 to 75 people where some other churches have waited for three or 500 people. God's going to be having us pushing the limits, so to speak. And uh, there's going to be some things that he's calling us to do that's going to cause us to come outside of the box a little bit. And so I really believe next week's service, hearing Pastors Earl and Marcy, uh, you know, obviously post mostly... Pastor Earl, his wife will be here with them, but he's going to be ministering, and I've kind of told him some things that I feel we may go uh, in that service, but he's been where we're at today. He's been there. Uh, eight years ago, when they planted the church in St. Augustine, it started out small. It started out beginning. Uh, there was a foundation that needed to be laid, and I remember it, you know, thinking back for the first three years, you're thinking, you've been preaching the same exact message for the last three years. You know, but it was foundation that was being laid. There were things that we needed to hear to build ourselves up to get us ready. A lot of times we get stuck in just where we're at today and we don't realize we're actually being prepared for something great. And we just got out of the purpose series and we've been talking about the greatness that's inside of you, the potential that's inside of you. I, I may have the potential inside of my body to one day uh, bench 250 pounds, but I've got to do something today to prepare me there, to get me there. I'm not getting up under that weight right now because that will break my neck. Literally, it will fall down and collapse on me. 
So what do I do? I get people around me that can spot me, that can help strengthen me, that can help push me forward. But I've got to start out in a place, and I can't get weary in the beginning. Can't get weary in the small. Can't get weary in just being able to put up what I can put up today. And so we've got to be able to push us. And I really believe that uh, next week's service is going to be that catalyst. It's going to, uh, you're going to hear from a man that has seen it happen. You're going to hear from a man that has vision like nobody's business. And in fact, I didn't even know what vision was until I got around him. I didn't even know what it was to see beyond where you're currently at until I got around this guy. And he's always looking at the next thing, the next project, the next place, the next people, the next group, the next event. Always looking ahead and not getting surrounded by that. So you don't want to miss that service. I'm going to tell you right now. You want to invite everybody you can to get here. Not only is it going to be a catalyst for this church, but I believe it will change some things for you individually. Because vision is just not a corporate thing. It's not a business thing. You need to have vision for your life. You need to have vision for your, your business. You have vision for your kids. You need to have vision for what you, what you are in in your life. And I think it will help change a lot of things. So you're going to want to be there. And I wanted to take today just to kind of get us in position to receive um, what's coming next week. Because here's the thing, and you've heard it said before, you get what you expect. You get what you expect. And that goes no matter what you expect. If you expect nothing, you get nothing. And if you look at some of the greatest moves in the Bible that took place, it came because people were expecting. Now, here's the thing that we do. We, we confuse expecting with knowing. I'm not saying that you have to know what's coming. I'm just saying you've got to expect something to come. Even in your own life, you get what you expect. If you, if you expect to do nothing, if you expect to be nowhere, if you expect to have no influence, if you expect not to do anything great, you're going to do that. I'm not saying, uh, but, but see, if, if you expect God to do something great in your life, He'll do something great in your life. God is always looking for people with an expectation. He's always looking for people with an expectation. There was an expectation when Joshua commanded a, a, a group of people to walk around a city wall seven days in a row, and then on the seventh day, seven times. There was an expectation. They didn't know what was going to happen. They had no idea. But there was an expectation. There was an expectation that was laid within a man named Gideon when he took 300 men, 300 men to go up against 120,000 soldiers and to fight them. They didn't know what was going to happen. God didn't give them the full direction. Sometimes we want God to open up the entire path to us, and he's saying just take it one day at a time, one step at a time. But we got to be expecting. And... I have seen, you know, um, people, you know, uh, when, when you go to a service and it's, for example, when I go to like a pastor's conference or something, you have pastors there, leaders, that are expecting a move of God to take place. And I see great things happen. And then, you know, some of those pastors, they go back to their churches and they wonder why that stuff doesn't happen there. Well, you just got 300 to, you know, 1,000 men in one room, all expecting great things. But then we get to church and it's just routine. The worst thing that could ever happen in this church, 
the, the thing that I dread the most that can happen with Anchor Faith Church here in Valdosta is that church becomes routine. Um, and this past year has been very foundational, and there's things that we're getting going. But, you know, down in St. Augustine, they have a phrase, uh, you know, for, for visitors and for guests that, uh, you know, for first-time guests, you have to come back at least five times because every service could be different. You never know what could happen. This service today, it may be completely different next week. And then the service after that may be completely different that week. You never know what's going to happen. The worst thing we could do is come to church thinking we know everything that's going to happen. That's the worst thing. That's the worst thing I could do as a pastor is just set you up for this is exactly we're going to do our two songs and then I'm going to preach for about an hour and then we're going to give an altar call and then we're going to pray and then we'll do some. That could be the worst thing. There's sometimes that naturally I do things to mix that up. Sometimes I've done worship at the end. Sometimes I've, uh, you know, preached shorter and do a longer worship set. I mean, there's things naturally I could do, but spiritually we need to be when the second we walk in that door. Be in preparation for whatever God wants to do. I'm ready for it. I'm expecting something awesome today. And, 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 and we can't put it in a box. We can't. There's many times where a, a, a pastor will teach the word for an hour. And everyone goes home and says, well, I guess God didn't move today. Are you kidding me? This is God's word. You bet he moved. He will move just as much as if we lay hands on the sick and they all get healed or if we just preach the word and people walk away enlightened and empowered to go and be a, different, be a difference in their world. The, the, the Spirit of God just, and we, we, we put it in a box of a physical manifestation. Well, man, God really moved today. I mean, the pastor didn't even get to preach. And then the following week, well, I guess it wasn't as good as the week before because the pastor preached for 30 minutes. I could preach in, in 15 minutes if, if God felt I could get everything out in that time, and that be just as powerful as if I went off for an hour. We can't put it in a box. We have to come with an expectation. And, but today I want to talk to you about what the foundation of expectation, because expectation is a result, always a result of honor. And so I want to talk to you about honor. Expectation is always a result of honor. And so we're going to talk about honor today. Honor is simply this value. It's how you value something. Honor is value placed upon something based upon a, a price paid. You value something because of a price paid for it. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Honor is simply value, it's how you value it. And Matthew 13, verse 44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Read it one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This man values the treasure. He honors the treasure. And his honor is revealed in the price paid 
for the field. Now, I got a couple questions I want to ask you. Just be honest. If you were the one that found a treasure hidden in the field and it required you to sell everything you had to buy the field, how many of you would just dig up the treasure without buying the field? I'm the only one. Okay. I got, there's a few of us. I would, man. I'd go out there and just dig up. What do I need the field for? I just need the treasure. And secondly, if it required us, if you had to buy the field to get the treasure, if someone said, okay, you want that treasure, you've got to buy the whole field, how many of you would pass on it? Eh, not worth it. Nah. So the value of the treasure lies in your response to the field. Now, there's, I've heard this thing preached on many different ways. But where I want to show you today, what I want to show you today is every single person has a treasure. And you are the field. Every person has a treasure. We're talking about honor. We're talking about valuing the treasure. Everybody has treasure. We, bought, we just got out of the purpose series. And we saw that everything God does has a purpose. He places the potential within a thing to accomplish something at, the, at its creation, at the beginning. You're not trying to develop potential. You're not trying to hopefully one day my potential shows up. You're, you're trying to figure out what is the potential that I have and how do I do it? How do I get that out? It's not a, if there's potential in there, well, if I'm supposed to do something great. No, you are called to greatness. You have a treasure inside of you. How do we get the treasure out? By how do we value the treasure? You value the treasure by valuing the field. See, the field comes with weeds. The field, the field's dirty. And the treasure, whatever, whatever is treasure to you. I mean, I, I picture a big box with, you know, like, like, you know, something you'd see off of like a pirate movie or something. With coins and jewelry and diamonds and, you know, all kinds of stuff in there. Valuable things. That's the treasure. But the, the field, man, it, I mean, it's full of weeds. It's full of dirt. I mean, who, who wants all that? Just give me the treasure. And we do this all the time, and we don't even realize it. We devalue people's fields, and we just want the treasure. Uh, when I was at Bible school, uh, this was something I realized I was doing, and I didn't I found out I was doing it, but when I was doing it, I didn't realize I was doing it. And you get all these different instructors, and some of them are really good, man. I mean, you can listen to them for hours. And then you get some other ones. You know, most of the time they were like pretty old people, you know, that had been around the block. And I do pretty good with old people. I do pretty good, you know, I love stories. I'm a history guy. I, I love history, man. I love it. I love the Civil War. I love the World Wars. I, I, I love uh, Roman history. I love all that stuff. It's great. I love to study it. I love to study how things were created, how things were invented. It's just great stuff. But there's some of them that it's a little harder to listen to. They're just naturally, they, they talk in the same tone. They, uh, you know, seem to be repetitive and just kind of repeat the same thing over and over. And they're very simple in the way they talk. They don't give you anything really profound. They just say simple stuff like, God is good. 
You know, and that's just as good as something real profound. Like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. For some reason, if it's something that we could think of on our own, then it's not good enough. Give me something I couldn't think of. Come on, you've got to go beyond where I'm already at. And so what, what were we doing? And I didn't even realize it until I took an honor course. And it was hilarious because it was by the one guy, and he'll probably come here and minister at some point. I'll have him here. It was, he was teaching this one course, The Life of Honor, and he said it, and he pinned everybody to the wall because everybody in the school, man, Doug Jones is my favorite instructor. He's the, he's the best, man. I mean, the other guys, they're great, but, man, and, and we hear it from second-year students as first-year students, you can't wait for Doug Jones's class, can't wait to hear him speak, can't wait to hear, hear him teach. And he's phenomenal, and he'll come here, and he'll blow your socks off too, so don't act like, like we're just – He'll come here and he'll minister, and, and uh, I just talked to him just not too long ago. But anyways, um, he's just the, the most phenomenal teacher. The way he puts things in the, it's like, oh, man, just blows your mind. You're two weeks in, you got six more weeks of this stuff. You're like, I don't know if I can take anymore. And he's the one that stands up in Life of Honor class, and he tells us, if you have a favorite teacher, you're wrong. Well, great. Thank you, favorite teacher, for telling me. It's like you want to look at him and be like, but you're the favorite teacher. Don't you understand that? But he knew that. He knew that. And he knew that if you have a favorite, you're devaluing something else. And he said, you don't recognize someone else's treasure because you devalue their field. You devalue the way they talk. You devalue uh, their stories. You devalue their age. And so the treasure that's inside of them, you don't place as much honor or value for what they have to give you. Kids, we do this all the time with our parents. We, we just want the treasure. Hey, Mom, I need 20 bucks. But the field. And so we pick and choose. And so we've got to be careful with that. We've got to be careful with, and we have to be careful with our treasure. Don't let someone take your treasure without taking your field. Don't let someone get access to your treasure without first showing value for your field. I'm, I'm very uh, cautious with information that I put out. I don't just share my stuff with anybody. Because do you really value the stuff that's close to me? Do you really value the stuff that I value? Do you value me? I give my treasure to people who will value my field. Your, your flesh is the field. But here's what we do. Here's the, here's the position that this puts us in. Is that we decide what's honorable and what's not. But here's how we decide that. Here's how we decide that. If we don't value someone's field and only want their treasure, then we're waiting for someone to prove that they are honorable before we honor them. We decide. What we're saying is, when you prove to me that you are worth my honor, then I'll honor you. Now, why am I bringing this up before next week? Because when guest speakers come, 
they don't need to get up here and give you and, and blow you away in the first five to ten minutes to prove that they've got something to give you. Uh, one thing that I hate to see is, and, and you know, in, in fact, Pastor Earl down in St. Augustine, he almost gets to the point where he wouldn't even announce when he wasn't going to be in a service. He just a little surprise attack. Hey, where's Pastor Earl? Because we started to find out that if he had announced that and say, so-and-so is going to minister in my place, well, attendance goes down. Oh, Pastor Earl's not ministering? Oh, okay. Oh, we'll, we'll go back when he... We do that. I used to do it when, when I went to other churches. Obviously not there because I'd been fired in one second. <laughs> if you're not going to be in... I've been let go. <clears throat> but at other churches, they're thinking, oh, it's that guy. That guy. Why? Because their treasure isn't as valuable as this other person's treasure. But yet God has placed a great treasure inside of every person, every individual. And if I could just get past the field and go for their treasure and say, I'll take it all, I'll sell all that I have, I'll do everything I can to be there, then I'm going to get the full value of that thing. I'm going to show honor not just for what they have to give me, but for who they are. It's not about who's up here. It's not about how they minister. It's not about how exciting they are. In fact, you know, after you hear Pastor Earl on Sunday, you're probably going to want to leave our church and move down to Florida and go to his. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Those of you that have heard Pastor Earl know what I'm talking about. He's electric, man. He's on fire. He's a he's a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm, I'm a teacher where I just like to get in the Word. That's why when I study something out, I mean, I, I studied this out this morning. And I'm thinking, well, great. I've already got like three different ways to go with this thing, where he can he can just get it all out in one thing, man. But I like to get in there. I like to define words. I like history. I like the backstories. So I break everything down, and I'm in a thing for you know. If I don't watch myself, uh, those of you that have been showing up on Wednesday nights, our Kingdom of uh, Kingdom Mind Renewal was 12 weeks long. Just talking about that. The Holy Spirit was like five months. I'm not even lying. It went from like January, I don't think I was done, to like May or June. I can just get in stuff, man, and just stuff keeps showing up. And I'm studying for tonight, and I'm thinking, I'm having to write a separate piece of note for next week already. That's just, that's just how I am. I like to break things down. But he's electric, he's on fire, but that's his field. And he's got a treasure. And I have a field. And I have a treasure. And we can't dishonor the field and just get the good stuff. Those of us that are married, we know all about fields and treasures. When you got married, you got the field and the treasure. You didn't just get the treasure. You got it all, man. You got the snoring in the middle of the night. You got the bad breath in the morning. And we know as we all get older, stuff starts changing. Stuff starts shifting and moving places. We all know how that is. Men and women, I ain't putting anybody in a box. You got the treasure and the field. You got the whole package. Amen? Can I get some amens from some married folk in the room? All right. All right. So we get it all. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Amen. Woke up some people with that one. Hallelujah. Second Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house, 
there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. When I was in college, I had vessels of honor. And they weren't what you're thinking. Because, see, you determine the honor. The posture of honor is determined by the recipient of the gift. Vessels of honor in my house when I was in college was plastic cups and paper plates. Because I hated to do dishes, and I didn't want to do dishes, and I'm the only one living here, and there's no one else to put it on. So I'm throwing my stuff away after I eat off of it. That was my vessel of honor. I placed the value on it. I that where someone else may value having a nice ceramic bowl or a glass cup to drink out of. I said, give me something that I can ball up and throw in the trash can and never have to see it again after I eat off of it. So you place the honor on someone. See, President Obama could walk through this door right now. And he's in a position of honor, whether you like it or not. He is the president of the United States. And you ain't going to walk up to him and stop him. Hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? What you doing today? You ain't going to sit here and say, oh, hey, what's up? I can promise you, you're standing up on your feet and you're showing the man some honor. Yes, sir, Mr. President. You ain't going to just call him Obama. You're going to call him President Obama. He's in a position of honor. See, there are positions that automatically come with honor, whether you like it or not. It is built in. But it's up to you to show the honor. So you determine what you value and what you don't value. Whether you agree with the man or not, whether you agree with, with his positions and stances or anything, don't matter. He's in a position of honor. But then you may come across someone, uh, say, uh, you know, a co-worker. And you may not honor them any more than you would honor yourself, may not value them much more. And so we treat them maybe a little differently than we do our boss. Sometimes because the boss is the one signing the check. <laughs> Coworker ain't signing the check, so yes, sir, yeah, anything you need, yes, sir, got it. I'm on it. Until you, the thing switches the line and says, all right, it's, it ain't worth it anymore. I've been there too. But the, the honor that you give somebody or that you place on something, that's determined by you. It's the, determined by the recipient of the gift. You place the honor. That posture is your stance. That is a position. That's a, that's a position of I value what is coming. I value what you have, so I value you. You know you hate it when people only value what you have to give, but they don't value you. Everybody hates that. There's no parent in here that, you know, uh, you know I, I'm still very close with my dad. You know, and I remember, uh, you know, when I went to college and if I needed, you know, a little extra cash or something, he was always willing to help me out. But it wasn't because I called only when I needed the cash. Was it because I only talked to him once a year? 
It was because I had a relationship. I valued him as a person. I called him when I needed advice. I called him uh, when I just wanted to talk. I had called him when I had a question about something. I called him when our sports team won or lost. So then when I show up and I call and say, Hey, Dad, I got this thing coming up. I just need a little extra. He's helping me out. And he's got no problem doing it. You hate it when someone only values what you have to give, but they don't value you as a person. And it becomes very recognizable. So this value, this, this uh, position of honor, this position of value, that is what determines your expectation. When you value someone, you expect great things from them. When you value your husband and wife, there's a level of expectation there of what they're bringing to the home and who they are as a person. When, when you value uh, your kids and when your kids value you, there's an expectation that's developed. When we come to church, there should be an expectation that shows up, and it's because there's an honor and there's a value for church, for the Word of God, for who's speaking, for the gift that He's placed in front of us. There's a value that shows up. There's a value that takes place. Um, I, I missed this note, but I wanted to say this. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. And it was the value of the treasure is revealed in what you do with the field. I think I may have said it, but I didn't really point it out. The value you have for the treasure becomes recognizable in how you treat the field. The value for the treasure is in the field. See, when, when you don't disregard the dirty stuff, you know, right now it's a very sad thing, and I hate to see it because I know what they're going through, but there are, are pastors that are just naturally going. They're people just like you and I. doesn't matter how big your church gets. doesn't matter how big the ministry gets. They go home to families and kids. There's a pastor just right here in Georgia not too long ago, just a few months ago, has some issues, and I don't know all the personal issues, and I don't take sides either, because I wasn't in, I wasn't in the home when the incident happened. But had an issue where uh, his, him and his daughter got in an altercation, and um, his teenage daughter, and some things were said, some things were done. I don't know what happened, and the police were called, and he was arrested. A very prominent pastor, if I told you his name, most of you would know who he is right now. And so pastors are going through these things. And what happens? All of a sudden, people devalue the person's treasure because of the field. Oh, now all of a sudden a little bit of dirt has shown up. Now all of a sudden there's a weed that pops up here and there. They got a field just like we got a field. We probably wouldn't want to know half the... We wouldn't want people to know half the stuff that goes off in our houses. I remember I heard another very prominent minister talking about this situation. And he said, if you only knew the, how many times I had to look at my 16-year-old son and say, well, let's go. We'll go out on the front lawn right now. <laughs> They're real people, man. They don't have angels that just, you know, living up, you know, in the basement making sure everything stays cool. 
Now, do they have a level of accountability? Sure. As a pastor and leader, you're called to live to a higher standard, no doubt. But I can't control everybody's actions in my house. I'll tell you right now, Camden is not an angel kid, and most of you that have been around him know that. He's not an angel kid just because he's a pastor's kid. In fact, how many times have you seen that PKs, or sometimes they're, they're pushing the envelope a little more? I'm praying for that kid over there. I'm beating it out of him now, so we, we don't have to deal with that later on. I don't got time to mess with that. I don't need him being picked on as a PK and saying, well, I don't want to be a PK anymore. You're not going to play that game. You're going to do what God's called you to do. That's it. Anyway, so us as pastors, we, 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 we have this level. And then all of a sudden the field starts to come into play and it's not just the treasure anymore. Us as married people, you know, we get out of that honeymoon stage and field starts showing up. There's a weed here and there and there's a little bit of dirt over here and it's saying, wow, I didn't know all this came. I was looking at the diamonds and the jewels and the necklaces and the gold coins that were lying all up in this thing. But we got to value the whole thing. The field comes with the treasure. We all have a field. It's called flesh. And sometimes personal desires show up. Sometimes they show up and and those things come up and we have to decide, are we going to still go after, are we still going to honor the treasure based upon the field? We've got to make that decision. And that posture of honor, that's on us. See, I want you to come to service next week. And and I don't preach because I think things are going to happen. I only preach what God tells me to say. Bottom line. I'm not here thinking, well, man, I, I hope they treat him right, so we, you know, I better set him up real good. I don't have to do that. The second he starts preaching the word, you're going to find out that it was God-ordained. You're going to find out I'm in the right place at the right time. I'm at the right church. You will find that out. I don't have to set you up for that. But what I want you to get in a position is that every time you come to church, you're in expectation because there's an honor you know, they say that uh, a lot of churches, when, when people visit a church for the first time, they decide within the first five to ten minutes if, they're, if that's the church they're going to stay at or, or if they're going to come back. And you know what? Within that first five to ten minutes, the pastor hasn't even had a chance to do anything. What are they doing? They're basing the church. They're basing the treasure that the church might have to give them on the field of are the chairs comfortable? Was the music too loud? Was it neat and clean? Were the people nice? Did they shake my hand? Did they smile at me? That's what they decided on. You're basing, you're, you're deciding on is this treasure valuable off of the field? And we have, we have a responsibility to keep the field right. I'm not saying we don't at all. We definitely do. No doubt. But that is a prime example that before the, tre- the real treasure of church, before the instruction of the word, before the development of your spiritual life, before the, the life-changing gospel is even spoken, we're making decisions on, am I coming back because of these things? And so we've got we've to come wanting to honor the treasure and being just as excited about the field. 
This may be for some people, I don't know. This, might, this church might be too small for you. I don't know. This church, uh, it, it, it might be too close-knit. Everybody's different. Some people want large churches. Some people want small churches. Some people want, you know, I want to get to know everybody. And then there's some that, you know, they just want to, they, they have their spot. I just want to hear the word and then go. Everybody's different. I understand that. But what I want you to do is value the treasure that is spoken. Value the treasure that's coming forth. Because what's the true treasure of a church? Your spiritual growth. I listen to to uh, pastors all the time talk about growing churches and how to grow your church and how to get more people and all this kind of stuff. And it seems to get further and further away from what true success in a church is. Success in church is not numbers. Success in church is not a full worship team. Success in church is not the size of the building. Success in church is the spiritual growth of the body. I would hate to be the pastor of a church of 10,000 people, but they were only a mile deep. I want people to grow up spiritually. I want people to be strengthened, empowered, equipped, that can go out into the world and answer people's problems, not go out into the world thinking, well, I'm just having the same problem as everybody else. That's not the product that we want. The true success rate of this church is when you go to work tomorrow and someone talks about you behind their back, do you respond in love or do you respond in hate? That's the success rate of the church. When sickness shows up in your son or daughter's body, do we operate in fear and panic and anxiety or do we say, you know what, God's got this? Because this is what the Word says about the situation. That is the success of the church. Witnessing and, and, and bringing other people to the Lord and showing other people Christ and living the Word of God in front of people. That's the success rate of the church. And so we see here that there's vessels of honor, there's vessels of dishonor, but what I want to show you is that you determine the honor or the dishonor. You determine what's valuable in your life and what's not valuable in your life. What's honorable and what's not honorable. And even though there are things that they automatically assume honor, sometimes maybe we don't always honor them. I mean, we live in a culture right now, if, if you turned on, uh, you know, Jay Leno or Conan or whoever's on these late night shows, and I don't even know anymore. Back when I was growing up, that's who I used to watch. You can almost, I can almost promise you they're going to have something to say about the president. It don't matter if the president's white, if he's black, doesn't matter if he's going to war, if he says don't go to war, doesn't matter if the economy's doing great or the economy's, doesn't matter. They are joking it up, man. And it's all fun and games, but that's a position of honor. And they're just showing the world that that man is just like anybody else, and we devalue him just as if we would devalue anybody else. And we find it funny if they can't say the right things, and we find it funny. There's all kinds of things that we devalue, and it's a culture, and, and our, our kids are growing up in it, and our teenagers are growing up, and we've got to, we've actually got to, as parents, we've got to get on top of that thing and say, let me show you what honor is all about. Because the field, there's a field there. 
But you got to value the treasure. And to value the treasure, you get the field. And we don't disregard the treasure because of what all of a sudden shows up in the field. We go, we got it all. See, God did this. God honored us when we were a field with no treasure in it at all. We were just fields. And he paid a very high price to get the field just so he could get the treasure. Each of you is a field with a treasure inside of it, and he bought every single field. And some fields, he's not even going to get the treasure out of. And he still paid for it. Would you buy a field with just the chance of maybe getting the treasure that's inside of it? And God did that. When he sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross, he paid a price because he saw a bunch of fields with treasure all up in the fields. And he said, I'm going to buy every last one of them. I'm going to buy the whole field so I can pull out the treasure. God, he honors his word. He values his word, and so he goes after that. He values every single individual in this room, every single person on the face of the planet. God has a value for it. And we're thinking, well, that's just a dirty, rotten field. That's not going to do anything. No, he already knows the treasure. Remember, it said that the he, he hid it. He hid it. That means that we may not even see the treasure in each other, but God already knows because he's already found it and he hid it back in the field, and he's hoping that that treasure will one day come out. He bought the whole field. He bought the whole field. See, we, we do this honor thing with, with God's word sometimes, too. See, people, when we say we honor God, we honor him sometimes only based on what he's done. Sometimes we only honor God, because remember, honor is you're, you're honoring whether or not you ever get that treasure or not. The, the position, the posture of honor is already there. And sometimes we honor God, but only based on what he's already done by sending his son to the cross and dying for us. But let me show you what dishonoring God looks like when we don't apply his word or when we don't believe his word. When his word says that by his stripes you were healed, and we choose not to believe that, we are actually dishonoring God because we're dishonoring his word on that. We're honoring the treasure that's in him that we haven't even seen yet. Oh, I honor God because he sent his son Jesus, but, you know, I don't know about that whole sickness thing. I mean, I, I still, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. In fact, you know, I think, God may have even placed this sickness on me to teach me a lesson. That's dishonoring God because he's already made provision for it in his word and we're supposed to go after that treasure but we only take the treasure that he's already shown us in our lives. So we don't value God's power over sickness. We just value the fact that he died on the cross and one day we get to go to heaven. So we've got to honor God on all levels. We've got to honor God for who he is completely, not just who he is as a savior, not just who he is as 
uh, someone that has redeemed mankind. We've got to value him for everything his word says that we can do. Go over to John chapter 4. I'll show you a quick example. See, true honor values someone before they really prove themselves honorable. And if we're just waiting for someone to one day be honorable and one day be good enough to deserve my honor, then we really don't honor them. We don't really honor them. So we've got to understand this position of honor. John chapter 4. I'm just going to start with verse 1. I'm going to just kind of read this. This is the story of Jesus with the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Jews and Samaritans had nothing to do with each other, had no doings. In fact, uh, this will even go to a double layer because Jews and women had nothing to do with each other. They didn't look at each other on the street. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't hang out. They didn't do any of that. So here we have Jesus, a Jew, confronted with a Samaritan woman. We've got double jeopardy. And verse 5 says, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this is a picture of Jesus that most of us don't normally see. We usually see Jesus with a big, uh, you know, happy smile on his face, and he's just, you know, ready and waiting to, to meet people's needs, and, hey, what can I do for you today? And, and this is the kind of Jesus that we have. But here we have a Jesus that's been traveling, and he's got to go through a part of town that he's not really used to going to. He doesn't really like hanging out here, uh, just as a Jew. And uh, he's tired. He's wore out. Hard to picture Jesus as being wore out, but he was tired. He was a natural human being, just like you and I. He's tired. He's not really in a ministry mood, so to speak. In verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So he's tired, he's thirsty, and he's hungry. We all know that when we're tired, thirsty, and hungry, we're not the type of people you want to mess with. Talk to me after you give me something to drink and buy me a burger and let me get some sleep. Okay? So Jesus is tired, thirsty, hungry. And verse 9 says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? So this is Jesus' field that he has to offer this woman. His field is tired, his field is thirsty, his field is hungry, and his field is a Jew. <laughs> so this Samaritan woman has no honor for this man whatsoever. She is not trying, she doesn't see this as the Lord Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God that can get me out of the mess that I'm in. And we'll find out she's in a mess. There's no honor whatsoever. And so... Look at verse 9, or verse 10, I'm sorry. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God 
and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is thinking what we think a lot of times. If you only knew the treasure that I have inside of me, you would be responding differently. But you're just looking at my dirty field with a lot of weeds in it right now. You're looking at me as a Jew. You're looking at me as someone who's tired and hungry and thirsty and just wants to boss the Samaritan woman around. Hey, do this and hey, do that. And the Samaritan woman is, has a view of his field and does not see the treasure. So there's no honor. She's not honoring the field. Because she doesn't, she doesn't call him Lord, she doesn't call him Master, she doesn't call him Teacher, doesn't call him Messiah. These are all names that people who recognize Jesus' treasure knew how to respond to the field. And there were a lot of people that didn't realize the treasure that Jesus had, and they took away the field. They killed Jesus because they didn't know who he really was. That's what the Bible says. Paul said it. He said, had they known who he was, they wouldn't have killed him. I can promise you right now that Satan is wishing he didn't do that. He didn't even realize the treasure that was really inside of you. If he realized, wait a minute, if you die, everybody becomes like you, I ain't touching you then. I, I, I've got a bad enough time with just one of you. I don't need millions and millions and millions of you. I don't need a body of Christ in the earth made up of many individuals. I'll just deal with this body of Christ of one individual. And so let's go on. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir. There's only one other person in the Bible that called him Sir. And because of the Holy Spirit, God was able to help that man out. But he didn't know who he was either. There was a man at the pool of Bethesda, lame from birth, 40 years old. Jesus shows up and says, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just lying at this pool because an angel will come down, stir the water, and if, if I can get in the water, then I'll be healed. And so he calls Jesus, sir, doesn't even know who he is. He got access to the treasure, but that was only because the Holy Spirit moved. Right here, this woman has no idea who she's dealing with. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? She's saying, Are you greater? Is your field really better than Jacob himself? And we're obviously thinking, Yes. The field is awesome, and you want the treasure that's in it. So quit disregarding the field. But she's disregarding the field. She has no value for the field. Are you greater? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now we get, now it gets good. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no 
husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now all of a sudden his field's showing up. Treasure's his, his field's opening up. His treasure is, is starting to come out and says, Whoa, I perceive that you are a prophet. You went back five husbands. You told me who I'm shacking up with right now. I perceive that you are a prophet. I perceive. The way you perceive someone determines how you receive someone. Had she perceived from the beginning that he was a prophet, she probably would have received him a little differently from the beginning. Probably wouldn't have the smart remarks of, who are you a Jew to talk to me? Who are you to think that you're greater than Jacob, our father, who built this well? Who are you to think you got water that if I drink it, I will never? So she's saying sarcastically, sir, give me of this water so that I won't ever thirst again. Whatever. Well, here, let me tell you a little bit about yourself. I perceive you are a prophet. Now we're going to a different level. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem uh, is the place where one ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now he's revealing, here's who I am. Well, this woman ends up going back into the town telling everybody about who she just came in contact with. He just told me stuff that nobody should know. He just told me my life story, spilled it out in front of everybody, and gets the whole town to come out and see this man. The response that came, because she realized there's a treasure in this field, and I didn't even know it. That's a feeling that we all love when people finally realize, hey, they're good for something. Hey, they, got, they can influence my life. Hey, this person that's just been you know, saying all these good things, they're, they're actually having an influence and impact in my life. Things are changing. Why? Because they have a treasure inside of this field that I didn't even know was there the whole time. You know you love that feeling. You know you love it when people start to recognize, hey, Jesus had this encounter, and this woman recognized there's a treasure here. So I'm going to need to honor the field. Hey, everybody, come out and check out this field that has this awesome treasure inside of it. We have to develop this honor to go after everything and not disregard what we hear and, and what we see based upon people's fields. 
I mean, when, when we hear something bad about somebody, the first thought needs to go to what they've done and who they are and, and what they're saying. We hate that when people say one thing and do another. We hate that. You hate it when the treasure doesn't match the field. But you want to look for people because people will taint the treasure with their field. There's, all, there's a lot of them out there right now. God already bought all these fields, and there's a lot of them. The treasure's never coming out. There's a lot of uh, uh, musicians. There's a lot of singers, recording artists, that are using their treasure in the wrong arena. And they need to be using it here in the church, proclaiming the gospel. I love it when you get on, you know, like American Idol, when you see, uh, you know, I sang in my church choir, and I sang in this, and then they sing Christian songs. And then they use their uh, fame, they use the field to let out the treasure in the right arena. Tim Tebow has a field, and he's using it in the right arena to let out the treasure that's really there. His treasure isn't a great football player. His treasure isn't a talented athlete. His treasure is being able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with, with, with disregard to what anybody's saying. I mean, I like the fact that he's in New York City. I mean, he's light and darkness. I mean, you couldn't put it any other way. He's there. And there's a part of me that thinks, you know what? I think he took that on just so it could be a test to his faith and to prove I am the real thing. Because everybody's waiting for him to mess up. Everybody's waiting for his field to taint his treasure. But he's got a treasure and those that will truly honor the field, they'll get the treasure. There are churches all across the United States that are getting his treasure. There's uh, orphanages in the Philippines that are getting his treasure. And I'll tell you right now, he's being a treasure to the NFL, and they don't even know it. You will be a treasure to people even when they don't even know what's underneath your field. When you discover your treasure... When you discover what your thing is and how you can be a blessing to other people, they won't even know it. You'll be showing up to the job and, 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 and the company is blessed because you're there. The employees are blessed just because you're there. You don't believe that's possible? Look in the Bible. Look at how many times a godly man stepped in somewhere, took a position, and when everything else should have been falling apart, and then who are they going to? The one with the treasure. You've got a treasure. And when you show up to work tomorrow, when you go to your house tonight, when you get around your kids, when you get around your spouse, that treasure should be coming out whether they regard your field or not. You go to work and they might, they might not care about your, your treasure, but you let it come out. You let that come up out of your field. And they'll find out there's more than just field here. There's treasure up under here. There's treasure that I value. And then you'll find out they'll start valuing, valuing you. They'll start valuing who you are. We're going to give you a raise instead of you going down the street to get this other job with a better pay. Well, we're going to move you uh, higher up in the company because uh, of your influence. And we need you to influence some of that stuff up here. It'll happen. When you find out the treasure 
And then you, see, no one's going to honor their, your treasure if you don't honor your treasure. If you don't value what you have, no one else will. If you don't value the gift you are, Jesus had no problem telling that woman, you don't even know the gift of God that's in front of you. How, go to work tomorrow and say, you don't even know the gift of God that's around you right now. Go home tonight and look at your kids and they're spouting off. You don't even know the gift of God that is in front of you right now. This gift of God is about to put a belt to your backside. You don't even know the gift of God. There's many times I had to tell myself that pulling into parking lots at you know 7.30 and 8 a.m. working outside of something that I really wanted to do and around people that were frustrated and disgruntled and complainers and didn't care about life. They were just there for the paycheck. And I had to tell myself, I'm pulling. they don't know the gift of God's about to walk through that door right now. You've got to tell yourself that. Because if I didn't honor it, they weren't going to honor it. And then all of a sudden, people were asking me, hey, what church do you go to again? What, you know, that, that stuff that you talk about all the time, you know, could you, could you pray with me? I'm really having some problems at home. And when they show up crying and when they show up complaining about stuff, you got answers. Now all of a sudden they realize, wow, there's treasure under here. And then you can look at them and say, yes, I have a lot of treasure. I'm here to give it away. If you can just get past my field, if you can just get past what's here on the outside. And you know what? You may even see this field messed up every now and then. I may even do something wrong every now and then. But if you continue to disregard that and just keep going after the treasure, I promise I've got more to give. I promise I've got more answers to bring. That's us. I've told you that I don't come up here to preach anything that, that you can't use tomorrow. And you can use that tomorrow. You can all go to work. You can go to your houses and say, I am a gift of God full of treasure. I am a field with a treasure lying in it, and I'm going to give it away to the world today. How many customers could we give our, trail, our treasure away? How many employees? How many employers? How many coworkers? If we can just learn to honor that, if we can just learn to value that, amen? Well, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, you're so awesome. You're so awesome.